0: Transition points in life are often the hardest because they cause us to wonder, am I ready? Do I know what I need to know to handle what I'm about to face? Think about in your own life, those transition points that, that you've gone through. The first day of school, maybe the first time you stayed home alone, riding your bike, going to camp, learning to drive, graduating, that first day on the new job, first date, first heartbreak. Marriage, kids, switching careers, purchasing a home, retirement. Wouldn't it be great if every time you faced one of those transition points, you were given an instruction manual filled with everything that you would need to meet the challenges and to thrive in the opportunities that were coming to you? For those of you who are parents, you might think back to the first time you let your kids walk around the block on their own or ride their bike to the corner store, or go to a sleepover. And as parents, we want to protect our kids and to help them make wise decisions in whatever situation they're in. So, so you teach them, instruct them, and model for them good choices and behaviors. It's about helping our children become street smart. Just think about some of the universal rules. Don't talk to strangers. Look both ways before you cross the road. Be home before the street lights come on know your surroundings, always travel in pairs, learn to walk away from trouble. And all those pieces of wisdom, if applied, will protect and help your kids succeed. That's similar to what's happening here in the book of James. God has given us wisdom through his his word, godly counsel and practical advice that will bring protection and help us succeed in faith and life. This is street smart spirituality. As we saw last week, James is writing to his friends, fellow Christians who've been forced into a horrible time of transition. They've had to run for their lives because they were being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. Now they're learning to live out their faith in strange places and under very difficult circumstances. So James writes to them to remind them that God has not forgotten them and to give them practical wisdom to guide them in the situation they're in. I want you to open up your Bible to James chapter 1. James is located right near the end of the New Testament. And it's a different kind of book than, in, than many of the other books because it isn't written to a particular church or focused in on a specific problem or theological issue. Rather, this is a letter that is chock full of wise sayings and insights. This is wisdom literature. And in James' day, this is the type of teaching that was deeply valued, prized, and pursued. But what do we mean by wisdom? The dictionary defines wisdom as the soundness of an action or decision with regards to the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. And that may be true, but I think a simpler and far more helpful definition of wisdom is a penetrating understanding into how things actually work that gives you practical direction as to how you should live. Let me say that again a penetrating understanding into how things actually work that gives you practical direction as to how you should live. Wisdom is much more than just insight or knowledge. It's not just a set of intellectual answers or a checklist of do's and don'ts. Rather wisdom means being able to look at your life from God's perspective. It's God as the creator sharing with us how life and faith is designed to work. It's like when somebody has a building or a house custom built. There is thought and purpose put into the design. The intended use influences the shape and the structure. The same with us. You were created by God with a purpose. And wisdom allows you to discover and live out of that purpose. And that is why wisdom is such a gift of grace. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Where do you need God's perspective today? Practical direction on how you should live. Maybe it's with regards to your family or friendships. Maybe it's a significant decision you need to make. It could be about how to respond to a disappointment, a challenge uh, that you've encountered, or maybe an opportunity that you have been given. When you think about it, have you consistently brought that situation to God in prayer and asked for his wisdom and direction? Maybe that's something you need to do today. Just taking some time to to open up the situation before God and, and to ask him to give you wisdom to know what his will is and the courage to follow in his way. Here in James chapter one, James gets right down to business. In the first half, he instructs them that real life faith is revealed in the fire, in difficult circumstances. He's reminding them uh, that God is with them, even in the midst of the troubles they are facing. And we know that these are people who have faced huge challenges and deep discouragement and real life needs. And he's telling them to remain steadfast and to persevere in their faith. And maybe that's the message you need to hear. Remain faithful. Don't give up on God. Don't give in to compromise. Look at things from God's perspective with eternity in mind and consider it pure joy because in experiencing those trials and enduring that temptation, your faith is being revealed and refined. God is using those difficulties in our lives to humble us and bring us to the end of ourselves so that we can learn to rely on Him more fully. He brings those situations into our lives where we don't know what we should do so that we can learn to seek after Him for help and for guidance. And in the heat of the fire, God purifies us from sin and strengthens our faith. God is not a fault finder waiting for you to fail. He is a father wanting you to flourish. That's why in verse 16, it says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God is with you and God is for you. And he does not change like the weather. So you don't need to run and hide when you mess up. Rather, come to God and receive his grace, and learn to live in his wisdom. As we move into the second half of chapter one, James's focus shifts and changes from the difficulties around us to the struggles within us. He says, it's not the evil in the world that takes us down, it's the sinfulness in our own hearts. That's where the battle really is. Look at verse 14. But each person is tempted... When they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Notice the progression in the words. Desire begins in the heart. And when that desire is ungodly or when it is a good desire that is pursued in an ungodly way, it opens the door to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Take anger, for instance. Anger can show up unexpectedly in our lives. Someone does something that hurts or offends you, or you feel like you've been treated unfairly, or you've gotten the short end of the stick, or someone just doesn't understand, or things haven't worked out the way you thought they would. And anger shows up as an emotion. It may even start with a good desire for things to be right and fair. But then anger will look for a place to take root in your heart. For a few weeks now, I've been trying to grow grass seed in our backyard, and I have learned that seeds laying on top of the dirt don't germinate. You've got to push them down into the soil so they can take root. And if you let it, that's what anger will do in your heart. It will sink down in, take root, fester, and grow. And as it does, it will begin to change your perspective and color your view of others, yourself, and even God. That's when temptation strikes. That's when the chance to gossip shows up, the chance to gripe or get down on yourself or curse under your breath. And anger often brings company with it. Other temptations like lying, threatening, condemning words, and sometimes even violence. So you have a choice to make when anger shows up. Are you going to notice it and give it over to God asking for his wisdom? And perspective, or are you going to allow it to remain, sink down into your heart and grow there? Remember, it's not a sin to be tempted. It is a sin to give in to temptation. And James says, if you give in to temptation, it will result not only in sin, but that sin will lead to death. The death of innocence, the death of purity, the death of peace, the death of relationships. No one starts out wanting to be an angry, negative verbally abusive, violent person. But that is where evil desire will ultimately take you if you give it a home in your heart. And what is true of anger is also true of lust. It will lead you down the same road, and so does greed. And that's why James says in verse 21, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Your heart is at the center of your character, and what you allow to develop in your heart will eventually show up in your behavior and your words. But wisdom provides another way. James 1 says, Don't blame God, He's not tempting you. And don't blame others. Don't let somebody else's foolishness be your reason for your bad behavior. And don't even blame the bait, it's just an emotion. Instead, when you are tempted to sin, resist and run to God. Get rid of the sinful behavior and receive his grace. Listen for his wisdom and do what he says. The first half of James 1 is all about faith in the fire. The second half is about faith in our obedience. James is saying, here is God's wisdom. Use it, pursue it, live it out. And it will protect you, guide you, and help you thrive in faith. Look at verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Then verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. As Christians, we don't believe that wisdom is just an instruction manual or a set of right answers. It's not even first and foremost a theological issue or a worldview. We believe that wisdom is a person and his name is Jesus. Jesus is God's wisdom and God's word in the flesh. John 1 tells us that, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. And author Paul Tripp says, when you're brought into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you're now brought into a personal communion with the one who is the ultimate source and definition of everything that is knowable, everything that is true, everything that is insightful, everything that is wise. Ultimately, wisdom is not known by research, wisdom is not even known fully by experience. Wisdom is known through a relationship with Jesus. That's where it starts. And that's who we need to listen to. And that's who we need to obey. You see, wisdom is only effective when you put it into action. It's kind of like seatbelts. There was a time when I was young when most people didn't use them. They were seen as inconvenient, restrictive, and they took so much time to put on. When cars came out with warning lights and bells, those were seen as, as just a bother or an annoyance. But now we realize that seatbelts actually save lives when you use them. And you would never think of driving without them. This passage, starting in verse 19, is so full of wisdom and so needed for today because right now everyone seems to want to be heard. Everyone wants to speak. Everyone wants to tweet, to write something profound on social media or comment on every article on the internet. They want to have their voices heard. But wisdom from God's word says, hey, everybody, be quick to listen and very slow to speak and slow to become angry. Don't get all riled up so easily. It feels like so many people are on the edge right now, even in the church, which is understandable because things have been so unstable and so uncertain and there is so much stress and fear and it all seems like people are just ready to to, to lose it and to be offended and we are just so close to the edge. But wisdom says, slow down. Remember, God is in charge. Learn to listen. Listen. Don't express yourself so quickly because anger doesn't accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. Instead, you need to learn to receive with humility the word that's been planted in you by God. Just listen to the word of God. Listen to what he has to say and then obey it. Verse 23 says, anyone who listens to the word of God but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Again, there is a progression here. I want you to notice. First, we hear the word of God and that is about regularly finding times where you are reading and listening to the Bible. Let the Bible speak and not just what somebody else says about the Bible. Let God's word speak for itself. Second, we receive God's word. This is about my attitude. This is about opening myself up and and being willing to have my, my thinking stretched and my attitude challenged and my faith shaped by God's Holy Spirit. And third, we obey the word of God, being ready and willing to live out and to put into practice what we have heard. We can be tempted to read just one more book, listen to one more podcast, tune into church one more time, but not actually do anything with all the knowledge that we've already had. And we can become deceived in in our thinking Thinking that we're making a difference, that we're growing in maturity, that we're living in Christian freedom, but we are actually stuck in a pile of knowledge, kind of like getting hung up on a snowdrift at the end of your driveway. I know people who could absolutely humble me with their biblical knowledge, the knowledge that they've accumulated over the years, but their character blind spots are just as apparent as ever. There's no growth in grace, no movement towards holiness. They are stuck and their knowledge convinces them that the trouble is outside them with others when it's really in their heart. And that's why we need to be humble doers of the word and not just hearers. The whole point of looking in a mirror is because you want to see your reflection and know if there's anything that needs to be adjusted. Have you ever had one of those crazy mornings when you're running behind and you fail to look in the mirror and you get halfway to work or school or maybe all the way to lunchtime before you realize you actually forgot to comb your hair after your shower? Or you missed a spot while shaving or your outfit doesn't work at all or you're wearing one brown sock and one blue one and you didn't know because you didn't look in the mirror. That is understandable and it could happen to anyone. It may have even happened to me several times. But what would not make any sense is to actually look in the mirror, notice something amiss, and do nothing about it. James says your character, your behavior, your attitude, your generosity, your purity, your words, your works of service to God should be continuously growing and changing as you obey what you have discovered in God's word. When you put wisdom into action, there is a blessing that comes and a freedom that is discovered. And he illustrates all this starting in verse 26, where he says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. He's asking, do you want to experience true faith and pure religion and not the fake stuff? Then go and care for those who are in need, the disadvantaged, the lonely, the afflicted, the distressed. Do what Jesus did, stand with the outcast because to do so requires great humility, sacrifice and total dependency on God. Caring for those who are disadvantaged is not just a metaphor, it is part of the mandate of the church. And that is why here at Compass, we support organizations like I Live Again Uganda, which seeks to offer healing and hope and a new beginning for survivors of war in Africa. It's why we have missionaries in Ethiopia, Bolivia, Brazil, and Lebanon. It's why locally, we have the Compass Newcomers Settlement Team, which has helped 20 refugees seeking to establish a new life here in Canada. And we've partnered with the Rotary Club of Orangeville to start Cry Not, which is seeking to bring awareness and to shine light on the threat of human trafficking, which is devastating the lives of innocent victims right here in our own community. It's why we host the Compass Run for Food that seeks to address issues of food insecurity for students and families. We do these things because it's foundational to what it means to follow Jesus. And we all have a part to play. Some people try to separate caring for people's physical needs from addressing their spiritual ones. And James says they're tied together. This is the religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless. Because in response to the grace that we have received from God and in obedience to God's word, we are seeking to bring hope to those who are most at risk and help to those who are most in need in our community. We're putting our faith into action. Faith in obedience to God's word, which says, don't get influenced by the world around you. Resist the temptations that are inside of you. Keep a lid on your anger and a button on your lips. Pursue purity, live in freedom, stay on mission, care for the needy, be aware of the condition of your heart, And don't just hear the word of God. Let it soak in and then go and do something. And God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the one who makes all of this possible. Let's pray to him. Lord, thank you for the honesty of James. And thank you for how he understands and anticipates the struggle of people who are suffering and yet who are seeking to follow you in a broken world. Lord, I pray that you would help us to listen and that you would empower us to act. In your grace, make us pure, and in your strength, move us to action. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.